It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Reports Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to our show for a Wednesday. And going to be a cooler week this week. I'm supposed to play golf with some friends on Saturday. And hopefully, if we can find a dry stretch to do that, um, it's supposed to be really nice uh, temperature-wise this week. And that's a break for us. Coming up on the show today, we did a, a call an audible yesterday. Um, Mike Pratt uh, needed to... Uh, make a change on uh, the time and so I was just uh, we went ahead and switched mike to friday show and got uh, khsaa commissioner julian tackett to join the program because yesterday was a newsy day for high school athletics in kentucky so julian will join us uh, right off the top chris fisher from the cat's paws and dan reefer uh, dan worked for channel 36 uh, for a time then uh, channel 56 most recently and um, his wife uh, just took a new job up in Michigan, so the family's headed north, and uh, we'll lose Dan on the Kentucky sports beat. So he's going to join us. He's been kind enough to uh, pinch hit for me a couple of times in past months, and Dan will reflect on um, his time here at Kentucky. We'll talk about some of the current sports issues. So that's our lineup for today. Wildcat News of the Day, a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. First item is not necessarily Wildcat news, but some future Wildcats are certainly on the high school football fields in Kentucky. And as of now, they're going to get to play. The KHSAA Board of Control yesterday approved a nine-week season that will begin September the 11th. Practice can start August 24th. Now, Julian Tackett, the commissioner, who will join us here shortly, mentioned yesterday in uh, his time talking that you know, everything is, is fluid because of uh, what can happen with the coronavirus. I was encouraged yesterday uh, at the governor's briefing. He said the both the positivity rate and the number of cases were down uh, not only from the previous day but from the previous Tuesday week to week. So uh, if those numbers uh, are, are similar today, that will suggest maybe that we're trending in the right direction. Um, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, as far as the uh, high school athletic uh, or high school football season, um, they coaches uh, Julian said wanted to keep the playoffs intact, so uh, the uh, full playoff tournament will be uh, playing out, and so they'll move the finals back to the second weekend in December. Those games played at Kroger Field here in Lexington. Uh, and we'll get into more details of this when uh, Julian Tackett joins the program here shortly. Um, Florida Marlins season in Major League Baseball has been put on pause for the time being. Uh, they are uh, hopeful they can start back by, I think, the end of the week. Uh, at the moment, no positive tests from the Phillies, the team the Marlins played last weekend. So you've got the outbreak with the Marlins. But uh, at the moment, it uh, seems to be contained to the one team. So... Keep your fingers crossed there as well. I'll be saying that a lot probably. Uh, Ohio State's AD, or Ohio State, has sent a letter to season ticket holders telling them that the capacity they should expect for Ohio State games is 20% of the stadium. 
And um, so that would be one-fifth of 60000 essentially, for Kroger Field. Also, the Ohio State letter says uh, no tailgating. That uh, was certainly is to be expected. Texas is still uh, thinking they can get 50% capacity. It uh, seems like a pipe dream, but um, that's what they're saying. The Big 12 seems to be uh, the most aggressive in tone of um, – uh, when you see comments out there from whether it's their commissioner or different schools, um, somewhere in July ends Friday, I would think either by the end of this week or very early next week, we'll we'll start to get some news. I was looking at Heather Denich's Twitter feed. She covers college football very well for ESPN, and uh, she said that um, she says it's possible that uh, the ACC. Uh, presidents could take a vote today on the plan for the ACC season. Got the uh, Pac-12 and Big Ten have already taken their stands, but nothing has been decided yet by the ACC, the SEC, or the Big 12. And um, she says uh, in her tweet, bottom line, nobody knows what will happen today. Uh, Anthony Davis may miss the Lakers opener. Coach Frank Vogel says it's a lingering effect of an eye injury for AD. Um Hopefully, it's if he misses one, that'll be the extent of it. But something to watch. Lakers are slated to open this the uh, uh, resumed NBA season on Thursday night. Uh, former Wildcat Larry Warford will sit out the upcoming NFL season. He spent the past few seasons with the Saints. He was a free agent and had multiple offers, but he has elected to sit out the upcoming season rather than uh, play in the current environment. And UK baseball senior first baseman TJ Collette will come back for a uh, 2021 season next spring. Uh, it's great news for Coach Mingione. Gives him uh, a big stick back. Uh, TJ's quite the power hitter. And this is per the NCAAs uh, because of spring sports that lost their seasons. Uh, they have uh, Athletes have the chance to come back, so TJ Collette's going to take advantage of that. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We'll head to a break. Come back with Julian Tackett of the KHSAA on the Leach Report Radio Network. Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. Quarter past the top of the hour, we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline and bring on KHSAA Commissioner Julian Tackett. Julian, how you doing? Doing okay, Tom. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. It's 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 a question probably uh, people in uh, your position, you know, decision makers and stuff. When you get that question, you kind of pause for a second. <laughs> yeah, you almost have to. I just uh, just got off a call with the other directors in the Federation Section Two, which is eight other states, and we were all having the same type of morning. So it gets good. It's all good. We got to see daylight today. We're all doing good. Yeah, that's uh, that is true, and I think everybody was happy yesterday that there's hope for uh, high school sports. It's such a, a big part of uh, the the lives of the athletes who participate, the schools for which they play, and the communities in which they play. And uh, so, if everything goes well, uh, I am sure you get uh, a lot of uh, the, the board of controls vote got a lot of cheers yesterday. Well, it did, and it, it, I also had some reservations, but I but I can tell you that it's probably nine to one in favor of what happened, and I think that at least there's an opportunity if we manage it correctly. Uh, we have to we have to as a Commonwealth 
manage the virus correctly, too. We have to try to do some things uh, and quit fighting with each other. But uh, if we can do that, there's a chance that we can have that localized sport that, you know, 90-some percent of our kids, the last chance, the last time they ever play sports is in high school. They don't go to college, so it's a, or don't play in college. So it's a, it's a big, important thing to our society and our state. Yeah, I was uh, actually uh, chatting with Tom Hammond recently. His uh, granddaughter's uh, soccer player for a school up in uh, New England, and uh, they've uh, canceled their season. Now, I said, is she a senior? He said, no, she's a junior. So at least she's got another chance. But it's especially what you're talking about is especially uh, important for uh, seniors to uh, have that opportunity, if it can be done safely. And uh, tell, I guess, our listeners what you got, what's gone into the process of, um, as, as much as you can go into it, of um, de- determining your, your plan and your protocols that you'll go through with the seasons with. Well, I think part of it is we, we have had to work hand-in-glove, and really since we left Rupp Arena with the cancellation a postponement at that point of the girls' tournament. We've been working on this because, you know, the virus, it was apparent, was not going to go away. So we started looking at contingency plans and options, and we have followed what's going on in different parts of the country. We're in constant meeting with people, realizing that Kentucky eventually has to make a decision on its own, uh, our office in collaboration with the Department of Education and the Governor's Office and the Department of Public Health. All have to look at things. We've looked at tons of data. We've tried to follow the trail of of uh, situations where perhaps there were in infections that came involved in the school. Where did they come from? Um, Kentucky's data is a little different than some other states. It is concerning, uh, the numbers uh, all across the board, not just cases. Uh, it's concerning, but, but the fact that a lot of traces back to family travel and there's not been a lot of direct connection to sports has been helpful, plus the fact that there are some other states who have been a little more aggressive so we've been able to watch what happened there, and they, you know, they've been out front of this uh, as far as participation. And we watched, uh, uh, listened to the epidemiologists, looked at the data, tried to figure out where the risks are. And you gotta, when you when you look at this, Tom, you gotta. It's not just about the the perceived risk. You know, oh my gosh, we can't do this because that'll probably spread it. Well, you don't know. I mean, can you mitigate those risks? I thought Dr. Capilouto he had a quote in an article. Uh, in the sports section of the uh, last paper sometime in the last week. And he made a comment that you really have two choices. You shelter and shut down, or you've got to live in a COVID world. And what we've been trying to do for the last three to four months is really dig into how can we let athletics live in a COVID world. But the most important thing is our kids going to school, however they go, whether it's virtually half and half, in person, it's important. So we've had to make sure that what we do doesn't get in their way either. So yeah. part of the reason for a delay was to wait till after school started most places. We um talked or we talked on the show here actually about that the very quote from Dr. Capilouto. I thought that was um well uh, said as uh, as well. And as you um go into this uh, you were talking about other sports. So you've got have been able to you know, whether it's little league baseball or soccer tournaments or whatever's been going on that got a chance to come back earlier this summer so all the data that's coming back from that looks good yeah from a from a competitor to competitor standpoint now what's really been disillusioning a little bit and part of it is there's no real regulatory control and i I don't think everything in the world needs regulatory control i'm not trying to say that but i think the fact that some of the outside competition does not have any organizational governing they're basically self-governing is the reason why we've seen really lax compliance 
on some of the CDC standards, on some of the other stuff uh, that's, that's required, whether it's masking, whether it's uh, distancing. Whether, For example, you know, one of the early recommendations across the board from CDC when you resume baseball was don't use the dugout. Let people be outside the dugout spread out. But that wasn't exactly done by a lot of people. So, you know, it's those kind of things. We've watched the, the, the experiment that, that really was normal, which is Iowa plays their baseball and softball uh, in June. They always have play in June, and they went ahead and played. They did have some outbreaks within the teams. Uh, they, you know, you're not, it's very tough to trace a perfect moment that something started, but they were able to trace in a lot of, in a lot of those cases that it was maybe we didn't clean a weight room well enough. Maybe we didn't, uh, maybe we had a vacation and somebody came back and they had it. it you know, so much of ours has been traced to out of state travel and I, I saw a lot of the same thing. But, you know, there is, contact tracing is still, I mean, it's not new. It's been used for, you know, years and years with different things. But the data is really just now coming in, and it just hasn't, you know, it, we feel really comfortable. Have we been, have our schools been perfect? No. We had a situation that's been mentioned a thousand times about a weight room, and it really wasn't necessarily a weight room itself. It was people that were in the weight room and were not going by perhaps by some of the standards and you know, I mean, it, it's a combination of things, and I think that I'm hoping that we get past the fighting about the recommendation stage quick enough to do something about it and not harm it. If we don't, if we don't get better data coming forward, we got to reevaluate. But right now, it looks pretty good. But Tom, that changes. I, I, I used to say it was changing every day. It's changing about every minute now. So yeah. we got to keep an eye on what's going on. Absolutely. What about uh, a fan component? Uh, have you d- gotten to discussing that yet for high school football and other sports? Well, I think we, we'll present a plan uh, like all venues have done. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're in a little bit of an advantage and disadvantage spot. You know, being being the designee to do high school sports, we've got a little independence. And yet, we're still part of the executive branch of government. So we will work with Kentucky Department of Education. We'll work with the governor's office and, and public health on some standards. I think anyone who, who thinks we're going to open up sports with just the way it was in 19 is, is delusional. They're that far off. Um, it's not going to happen. There'll have to be some limitations. There'll have to be some standards and requirements. They may very well be different for indoor sports uh, starting out than outdoor sports simply because that's that seems to be the problem area um, uh, is where the air doesn't get to circulate, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll be looking at mitigation recommendations. What can we do? How can we balance? Here's a really good example of that our schools have gone through with their curriculum stuff that we're going to have to go through on uh, at basketball and volleyball stuff. How do you uh, adhere to the CDC recommendation that you maybe leave a door open for ventilation, et cetera, and also adhere to the security requirements that doors be secured, uh, and you know, and those contradictory kind of things. We've got to try to to see if they're navigable. We think they are, but we, we're obviously going to have to address a lot of different things. And that's our next step. Now that we we know what season, et cetera, we're going to try to play, we can move forward to some contest guidance and get that out there soon. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, that within this you understand there will be some positive cases that come up in certain communities or teams and you think that's something that's manageable well that's what we've seen so far and even with our workouts that have gone on since june 15th we have seen shutdowns here we've seen an occasional case that shuts a program down shuts a team down we've seen local health departments shut an entire athletic program down because and that's what health departments do that's their that's their role in all this 
Uh, we're, we're glad that there's a procedure. There is not a procedure that I'm aware of that allows for people to do what they want to do with athletic competition, and they've proven they're going to play and still not have any risk for this virus. I don't think that strategy exists. So you have to figure out how you can live with it. Part of that's the testing. Part of that's with attendance at games. Part of the, you know, by, by shrinking bubbles. We've even had to address who teams play temporarily. We hope it's not long-term, but definitely temporarily. Um, so we're going to, you know, we got to try to, we're walking a tightrope here because here's the other piece, Tom, and I, I don't want to, Say too much uh, to take up too much of your time, but but here's the other piece. People have proven this summer that even if high school sports is shut down, they're going to go somewhere and play. There's going to be somebody out of state, whatever, lets them play, and they really don't. They're oblivious, not oblivious. They discount the virus in favor of participation for their kid. They're going to do that. So can we, in a controlled laboratory of trained coaches? and train school people, can we actually lessen the risk and still have them doing what they want to do? That's really what we're trying. Player safety first, opportunity to participate second. Safely is uh, got to be the balance here, and it is a tightrope. And we don't have well, just 14 schools in a few states. we got 280. So it's I, a different uh, story. My feelings has been from my standpoint of my jobs. Like, tell me whatever the, whatever it is. I'm flexible. I'm I'm fine rolling with the punches as long as the, I get to uh, do games. That's what I would love. And I would suggest that you know all uh, coaches, parents, everybody kind of uh, be be flexible and be willing to roll with the punches. But then you never get any you know pushback from coaches or parents on anything. Everybody's always on the same page, and so you know that'll be just a yeah, smooth sail. Yeah, it's always, it's always unanimous every single time, you know. Yes. I, I say that everybody's been in the batter's box in Little League is an expert, and that, you know, it's, it's, that's somewhat true now. We've had a number of suggestions before. We had people that submitted really structured plans for moving different sports. We had all kinds of different things. We really, the passion about sports is why it's so popular. Yeah. Julie, you got to run. Thank you, you for jumping on with us. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Tom. Take care. KHS Commissioner, KHS AA Commissioner Julian Tackett. On the Leach Report, we'll be right back. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Second half of our Wednesday show as we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline and bring on Chris Fisher from CatsPaws.com. So, Chris, as a, as a sports fan, do you take the return of high school sports, which is uh, projected at least at the moment to happen in Kentucky, as uh, does that lift your spirits yesterday? Uh, definitely. I think uh, we could all use a little bit of good news, and, and that was, <laughs> certainly was a little bit of good news it you know remains to be seen i'm i'm cautiously uh optimistic um that that things will work out and uh saw yesterday that uh all the fbs schools have been cleared to start the the college football season as early as august so um things are looking good right now and we'll i guess wait and and see how it plays out yeah you mentioned that the uh, uh FBS uh, schools being able to start on August 29th that they call it week zero when there'd be a you know three or four games uh, that would precede the uh, mass opening the next weekend so now everybody can move up to that last weekend in August if they want to and I'd kind of been of the opinion that leagues SEC and other leagues might push back the start of their season uh, to watch how it's going for 
MLB and NBA, etc. But I saw that yesterday, and, I, and there's so much talk about building in some flexibility in scheduling. I wonder if more leagues may move things up and to give themselves an extra week to uh, have a, a week off if they need it for an outbreak somewhere. Yeah, I think you have to have weeks built into the schedule for you know for things to potentially to to go sideways. We've seen it, you know, with baseball with, you know, games being canceled and I think that's something that you're going to have to expect. There are going to be positive tests. There are going to be outbreaks with within teams and it's all about how do you deal with that. But it's encouraging that you know the infrastructure of all this is being put into place and you know, you can at least try it. If it doesn't, you know, go your way, if it doesn't work out, then you can always pull out of it. But it's, it's encouraging to me at least that, uh, you know, these things are, are moving forward. Yeah, it's, it, seems, it would seem to me that the only way to, if you had a, a test that could give you somewhat instant results and to where that you could trust, and then you could test some, test people every day, athletes, workers, et cetera, students, then that's the only way you would have some certainty. Um, but if you can, uh, Mike DeCourcy was on with us uh, a few weeks ago, made the point, if you can, uh, through testing, feel reasonably confident that you, you're putting people out on the field who don't have the virus, then it's not present, and so it uh, shouldn't be an issue. So there will always be you know, a, a few uh, cases that come through the cracks, but that would seem like something that uh, potentially could be manageable when you're playing – at one game a week instead of what you know baseball is playing you know six or seven games a week right and and, and another thing that I, I don't feel like it gets talked about enough is the insulation that you know a lot of these college athletes returning to campus um are provided with i think a lot of these kids are, might be safer on college campuses now than they would be just kind of out and about in in the real world. Now, obviously, that will change once the general, you know, student population returns to campus, and that's going to complicate things. But for at least for the time being, you know, Kentucky has had uh, amazing results with, you know, its positive cases since, you know, I think six different uh, sports have return to, to campus in Lexington. Not every school has enjoyed, you know, those uh, types of numbers. But, um, again, it's it's encouraging, and, and we'll see where it goes. Let's get to a couple of other topics. Perry Watson, a player that we – I think I asked you about a couple of weeks ago. His name had shown up in connection with Kentucky that they were taking a look, but I don't think ever, for, far as I know, ever made an offer, and he has now committed to UCLA um, – what was your take on that story? I think under a normal uh, recruiting cycle and, and you know recruiting process, had Kentucky been able to get out and evaluate him in person and, and you know really get to, to take a look uh, a firsthand look at him and his game, I have little doubt that Kentucky would have offered Peyton Watson at some point. Obviously, this isn't a normal uh, recruiting cycle, and you're starting to see guys, you know, start to fly off the board a little bit. Peyton Watson uh, being one of those to, to UCLA. There's talks that, that Kennedy Chandler could be uh, closing in on a decision because he's not able to get out and, and make the you know five official visits that he originally wanted to to take during his senior year. But I, I still don't get the sense that Kentucky is really in 
any hurry. I think if you look at, uh, and it's obviously extremely early and things could change. If you look at the, the makeup of, of this year's roster, I think there's a decent chance they could have a couple guys returning. Um, you know, obviously if Jacob Toppin sits out this season, he'll be on the roster as well. But Kentucky is, it seems like they're, they're fixated on a handful of guys that they feel really good about. Jaden Hardy, uh, Paulo Benchero being two of them, uh, potentially Kennedy Chandler. Uh, and, and they feel good about those guys and don't really feel the need to, to, to offer a bunch of guys. And I also think there's a, a handful of guys in the 2022 class that, they also feel good about and also feel like there's at least a decent chance that uh, they end up in 2021. So it looks like Kentucky is, is remaining patient with, uh, with the guys that they're in on. With the prospect of a change in the policy of the NCAA to allow transfers to gain immediate eligibility for a one-time transfer, there's a seems to be conventional wisdom is that that will be passed uh, at the early part of 2021 do you sense that john calipari sees that coming and is uh he's got three transfers for his roster this season that that's going to be a a significant shift in the recruiting landscape or is this just uh current is just just a case-by-case thing for cal right now i i think he's certainly open to it um I think we've seen this change uh, coming uh, across all of, of college basketball. And John Calipari always liked to keep a couple open scholarships anyways. Uh, it's hard to, to keep the number of guys he already has on the roster you know, happy. We've seen some uh, attrition from young guys who maybe didn't play as, as much as they would have liked to as, as freshman transfer out of the program. But I also think – you know, you look at a guy like Jacob Toppin, uh, they were, you know, showed some interest in Adam Kunkel. He ended up going to, to Xavier. But I think that would be um, until they pass the transfer rule where they would gain immediate eligibility, uh, it's a good way to build some organic uh, continuity and chemistry and experience within your program, having a guy sit out and you know learn the system and, and get acclimated and, and those types of things but uh, I do expect John Calipari like a lot of other coaches to take full advantage of of the transfer market especially if uh, if that rule is passed where guys can you know transfer one time and gain immediate eligibility and I think overall transfers and the transfer portal have completely overhauled uh, recruiting uh, across all of college athletics. I think I saw one coach said there were over a thousand players total currently in the transfer portal, and so it's it's completely added another dynamic to uh, the recruiting uh, season. I, you have your you know your your fall and you have your spring, and and now you have your transfer market in the uh, in the summer. And so Kentucky's definitely you know taking advantage of that. They've you know re Travis and. Olivier Saar, both of those guys, widely considered the, the top free agent in college basketball through the last three years. Chris Fisher, catspaws.com, at ChrisFisher247 on Twitter. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Heading to a break, 17 away from the top of the hour. Chris joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Dan Reefer, next up. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at Tom Leach KY. 
14 away from the top of the hour to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Dan Reefer, who is going to be leaving the bluegrass um, for um, his wife. Congratulations, by the way, to her. Has a, a new job up in uh, Michigan. So we hate to lose you on the uh, bluegrass sports beat. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I never really planned on leaving Lexington, but, uh, you know, life kind of happens and takes its turns, and so... Uh, just uh, this developed, and now we're headed to Michigan. Well, you and uh, Brian Milam have done uh, great work in recent years covering the high school sports on Friday nights. So uh, we'll start with your take on what you heard yesterday as far as high school sports for the fall. Well, I think it's you know great that they're not just going ahead and pulling the plug on it. Uh, I think it's uh, a good move to keep trying and keep trying until until you can get it. And who knows if. You know, August twenty first, twenty fourth, as the uh, as practice starting, and September eleventh is uh, the first week of competition. Who knows if that holds up? If that actually, if they have to delay it again. But even if they do, uh, just keep trying, keep trying. You've got um, you know the whole month of September, October. Um, you know, you can play all of November. You could even play um, you know December if you needed to. So. I think, and then you can shorten the season also. So I, I think just keep trying, keep trying, because you don't know what things are going to be like in two more weeks or a month or six weeks. Uh, so I'm glad that they didn't just say, no, it's too risky. We're not going to do it. I'm glad that they, uh, they're moving forward this way, uh, especially since, uh, we haven't had, um, you know, any athletes, uh, die from this, you know, the high school, at the high school level that I've, I've heard, or actually, I haven't heard any any athletes, not even college or pro, uh, die from this. So, uh, as severe and serious as it is, uh, well, as long as there are no deaths, uh, I don't see uh, any reason not not to try. Uh, that is um, looking at a September 11th start date. So, uh, as you said, if uh, something flared up, uh, you could, you know, if you end up with seven or eight game season, whatever it is. Um, I think yeah. if you're an, if you're an athlete provided, you know, and, and, and as a parent, if you can uh, feel that it's, it's, uh, as safe as possible and, uh, that there's no serious health risk that you'll tend to take whatever you can get in terms of getting to play your season, football, soccer, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause I, it's, it's so difficult, um, to try to, to move that, I would think to the spring with football. And then it just means so much to these kids, you know, obviously the, the seniors, especially, even if they can only just play their district games and then get, you know, get into the playoffs and then eliminate, uh, you know, maybe the first round, possibly even the first two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, you could do that. So, I mean, they could get away with it if they had to uh, shorten it quite a bit, but uh, you know, the parents, uh, the athletes themselves and, uh, you know, for many, you know, athletics is what keeps them interested in school. You know, what, what, that's the motivation. That's the motivation to uh, to get good grades and the motivation to uh, to behave and uh, not get in trouble is so that you can, you know, play football. Um, and so it's, you know, the importance of high school sports are just, uh, can't be overstated. And so I'm just glad that they're making every effort they can to try to get this in. Dan, uh, what about your in your time covering sports in Kentucky? Is uh, some favorite stories that stick out that you covered, or 
teams slash seasons? Oh my gosh, Tom! So many. Um, you know, football. Well, since we were talking about football, let's go with football. Um, I, I can remember when I first started out uh, covering those Boyle County teams that Chuck Smith had. Uh, that was amazing. That was um, you know Jacob Tammy. Um, that streak of what they go forty five and zero or fifty and zero before they before they lost fifty something wins in a row. Those were amazing, and, and Rockcastle County's teams at that time. So, you know, just high school wise, remember that. And my first high school Sweet Sixteen that I covered was Don Atkins Lafayette Generals team uh, that had Bobby Madison, and they played uh, that team that Mail had with Michael Bush and uh, Larry O'Bannon and uh, Mark Carter. I mean, they they looked like a NAIA team out there, and. I think they were down double digits at halftime with Lafayette, and they came out that second half and that pressure defense. And they had played a brutal doubleheader uh, or a brutal semifinal game earlier that day uh, where those guys had to deal with cramps and stuff. So to play that full-court pressure, uh, but to turn mail over and, and come back and Bobby Madison just nailing threes, that was a spectacular first Sweet 16 to cover. Uh, when you talk about Kentucky, of course, the 2007 uh, win against LSU and that whole season uh, all the way through uh, to the bowl game uh, was just spectacular to see, you know, the rise of Kentucky football there. Um, and then seeing what Joker Phillips was able to do with beating uh, Tennessee. I mean, I can remember that Tennessee game like it was yesterday. Matt Roark having the – he didn't know who the quarterback was going to be until, <laughs> uh, you know, some stuff started leaking out there just – you know, half hour before the game or so, and uh, that that game could make an interesting uh, ESPN thirty for thirty on that game. I don't think the, that's on their agenda, but that could be a really interesting, you know, more to story to explore in depth. Yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. And then, um, you know, taking it to the belt bowl. I mean, the belt bowl was just for that being my last football game to cover. I mean, my gosh, that was phenomenal. What Lynn Bowden was able to do there, basketball wise. That first season with John Calipari was so special. John Wall, I mean, John Wall's first game uh, after he has to sit out. Um, he, he faces Miami of Ohio, and it, it's up to him to come down and hit the game-winning shot. And then the post-game press conference was uh, phenomenal as well with the former or the late Miami of Ohio coach Charlie Collins. Uh, and then you take it through to yeah, you take it through to Mississippi State in the SEC tournament and how that game finished. Miska, uh, this. Go ahead. How crushed those guys were uh, after they lost to West Virginia. Just, just how close those guys, you know, came together that season. Uh, some will say that was Cal's best team, even though they didn't uh, get to a Final Four. Others, the 2012 championship team. Some will say the 15 team. What do you, what do you think? Whew. I would, uh, I would like to say. Well, I mean, it's just so hard because you won the championship. I, I just about have to give it to the 2012 team because they did win the championship. But, I mean, the, the 2015 team, that defense that they played and how much they just loved playing defense and the depth they had uh, was just phenomenal. But, you know, that 20 team, 2010 team will be the most special to me uh, covering just because it was that, that first team that kind of brought Kentucky basketball back, back to the, you know, being one of the top five programs in the country. Um, and then – like John Calipari says, the most important day in Kentucky basketball history when those five guys went in the first round. and It just built the foundation for what 
Kentucky's been able to do in getting the Final Fours and being as competitive as Kentucky's been able to be year after year. I mean, you look at John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, Marcus Cousins, all three still playing in the NBA. Patrick Patterson, also still playing in the NBA. Darius. Uh, it would, yeah, Darius. Darius, yeah. Darius still in the well, league. Um, Not playing at the moment, but injured, but still in the league. So, yeah, yeah that was totally. uh, that was – that was a loaded group. Uh, Dan, I appreciate the time. Uh, best to you and your family on the, the new adventure, and uh, we'll uh, keep in touch. Thank you, Tom. It's Dan Reefer, Thunder Dan, as uh, he came to be known in the market. Uh, we are heading to a break. We'll come back with our final segment of the Leach Report. A couple of birthdays to pass along. Former Kentucky basketball player Steve Clevenger celebrating a birthday today. He was on the uh, runs in his first year in 66 in a limited role, but uh, was a uh, major contributor in the following two years. And uh, his last season was the first varsity season for Casey Pratt and Issel, a team that just was just a one play away from going to the Final Four in 68, got uh, beat on a buzzer beater by Ohio State. Um, and then the other birthday today, our buddy Kenny Rice celebrating a birthday today. So uh, happy birthday to both. KentuckyHempWorks.com is based in Christian County, but it is a family-run operation. That's the important thing to know. And it is Kentucky Proud as well. It's locally grown hemp that is produced locally as well into CBD oil and hemp seed oil. A couple of new products for fishermen that are made entirely from hemp seeds. You can find about all the products and order them at KentuckyHempWorks.com. Check out their new YouTube channel as well and get educated on what the hemp industry could mean for farms here in our state. KentuckyHempWorks.com. That'll do it for us. See you tomorrow. Justin Rowland. Oscar Combs on the agenda for tomorrow here on the Leach Report. Listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leachreport at gmail.com. See you next time, right here on the 